From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Dieter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. All right, Zach, before we get into uh, today's podcast, let's chat a little bit about our favorite rum, Gosling's, oh, who yeah. is bringing you this podcast. It's a secret blend of three different distillates, each aged separately in once-used charred oak bourbon barrels. And Gosling's Black Seal Rum is the key ingredient in Bermuda's national drink, which you and I spoke about a little bit earlier, about a month ago, the Dark and Stormy, uh, originally offered in champagne bottles sealed with black wax, where, from whence comes its name. That's a very weird you know, turn of phrase, from whence comes its Anyways. Also, spoiler warning for upcoming in the, uh, episodes. It's good that they no longer need to use empty champagne bottles because there's a lack of them in the market right now. There is, yeah. Uh, but it's a dark rum that still possesses the same smooth, rich, intricate flavor as the original recipe from the 1850s. It's still slowly aged in small batches, and it was awarded the highest honor, the Platinum Medal, from the Beverage Tasting Institute. So for a limited time, you can use code VINEPAIR at checkout on reservebar.com. And you'll get $50 off your Gosling's rum order. I'm definitely going to make a Dark and Stormy later. Oh, man. I might need two after this podcast. (laughs) Zach, Erica is out on vacation this week. So it is just you and I like old times. Oh, my gosh. Vacation. I don't know. What is that? I I forget. I know. Uh, She went to, uh, I think, a, a home that she has rented in previous years in the Catskills, which is a, a very, you know, lovely place and in upstate New York. So I think she's probably having a good time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's not missing us at all if her Instagram feed is to be believed. Exactly. I mean, it looks like she's had some <laughs> nice meals. She saw bear cubs. Uh, I think she's had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> so so this is so okay, so so here's a question for you that uh, that this prompts. So let's say uh, you are in possession of a very, very specific uh, kind of magic where you can safely travel, you and Naomi can safely travel wherever you want and be, you know, reasonably safe and all that, but not like, hey, we can turn the world back to normal because I would hope that'd be your answer. Like, where would you most want to be in the U.S.? In the U.S. I See, I was hoping yeah. you'd ask that because like you said the world would be hard. Jeez, I think in the U.S. And I mean like right now-ish, not like, you know, any time of year. Are things are, are like restaurants and stuff open or no? You can kind of dine outside. You're not. It, it's not back to normal. Back to normal. So you got to kind of you know fold into that that the that you can't like go some. You don't necessarily want to go somewhere that's known for its you know many great crowded nightclubs or whatever. If that would be your choice, but uh, but you can you can have a you know a nice meal presumably outside or something like that at least. Making this difficult. Honestly, I I honestly think I would go to like either like the Outer Banks of North okay. Carolina. So because I, I like to be at the beach, although everything happening in the South right now scares me in terms of the of the levels. And if we're saying we're still kind of in COVID times, then I don't know if that's where I would go. Or I honestly, like I think, you know, the, the area of the country where uh, Erica has gone, so sort of like the Catskills area is very cool. There's a lot of really amazing restaurants and things happening. And I think there is some outdoor dining happening uh, and there's still water. So that's for me, it's like, it's just, I want to be, I want to have access to water. Like I want it. That's yeah. summer for me. So I would hope that wherever I like, whatever house I rented had a pool or something. And I yeah. think the only reason I wouldn't say the Western coast of the U S is I'm assuming I would still have to drive there. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so cool. that, that's just like too long of a drive. I am thinking about a vacation potentially in August, like going down to, uh, you know, either Virginia or Maryland or something like that. Probably Virginia, like the wine country area of Virginia. I've talked to a few producers about maybe coming to visit them. And like, I've been looking at, you know, some rental properties and stuff like that for like a week with, uh, with Naomi, but like, 
like I don't know if that's something that I'll wind up feeling comfortable about doing, but right now I'm at least thinking about it. And then I may meet up my parents because they would come halfway, but who knows? What about you? I think for me, the place that's like sort of nearish that I would most want to go is the Oregon coast, especially a little bit further south, kind of not all the way down to California, but but closer to the border. It's just really beautiful out there. It's a, you know, it's a little bit warmer than the Washington coast, um, which can also be lovely this time of year. And, and it feels, uh, it's like far enough away that it's, uh, it definitely feels special. Also, there are some amazing golf courses out there, which is probably one of the few things that I will be doing some this summer to have some outdoor enjoyment. Uh, and so, yeah, that would, that would probably be my trip. And, and it's also the kind of place where I think you can find places to rent that have like, you know, full kitchens. Cause uh, you know, we might, I might, it's, especially with a kid, it's just, it's hard to think about dining out as being anything other than, uh, incredibly stressful, which it already is with a child. And then when you add COVID on top of it, it's just kind of like, eh, I'm not sure this is worth yeah. it to me. Yeah. That makes sense. Is that like, is, is that area of the, of the Southern Oregon? Cause is that like Goonies land that we discussed with, uh, uh, with, the, with the, Dan the, Wampler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not far, not far from there. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, this idea of being close to water, being near something, a place where you can get like really fresh stuff. So I think that's also the appeal of places like the Catskills or something, because, you know, they have all this fresh trout and things like that and beautiful. I mean, also, honestly, where my wife is from in Lancaster is actually Pennsylvania is a pretty cool place to, to get away for a little while. Cause it's, it's a, a nice town with really good restaurants, but actually there's, um, we actually wrote a whole article about Lancaster being like this this big foodie destination for like chefs and you know spirits writers and stuff recently um but because they have actually the the country's oldest um farmers market oh so it's like yeah it's really cool actually in this you know it, right in the center of town um it's yeah. in an actual food hall and it's the oh, cool. the oldest and longest operating market in the country um and i never realized this it's actually the country's like uh, bread basket, they say. So like off the east of the Mississippi. So basically it's the most fertile land. And so there's tons of farms. Obviously it's like, if you die, if you're a New Yorker listening to this podcast, that's probably why you wonder why always you see like these tomatoes were from Lancaster County and this chicken is from Lancaster County. And this meat is from Lancaster County because it's a really fertile area. Um, and it's really cool. Cause you can, you know, there's a lot of things to do outdoors obviously, but then you could, um, uh, you know, you could go to some restaurants, but if you just were looking for access to really great foods supplies so that you could cook yourself, you'd have that access, which makes it, you know, great. Awesome. Well, I'm just, I'm just fond of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, because that's where I was from on my fake Pennsylvania ID that I used in college. That's hilarious. I don't remember my exact address for years. I had it memorized in case someone asked, but yes, I was from, I was from Lancaster PA, according to my ID. So it's so a big up, big up Lancaster. Speaking of fake IDs, have you seen all these news reports that like, uh, you know, this is like, (laughs) yes, I have seen for for, for young people to be buying underage alcohol because they're wearing masks. So people can't tell if they're actually the the face on the ID or not. See, these are the things that do give me hope for the future. Like, (laughs) right. You like, you know what? Take this opportunity to, to put on, you know, to make yourself look 70 years old, wear a mask (laughs) and yeah, go buy, go buy your $11 bottle of vodka. Have fun. (laughs) It's hilarious. I just like, I've seen it. I'm like, look, I I do not obviously uh, support underage drinking, although I did partake in it, but it just is very funny. It's like, yeah, and of course, like, you know, you always find a way. (laughs) Yeah. We're just finding a way. So it's pretty funny, but um, let's get into actually today's topics, which is talking a lot about the trends we've been seeing. So basically, um, I know you're aware of this, some of our our listeners maybe as well, uh, about nine months ago, we launched... um, this product uh, as part of the VinePair platform called VinePair Insights. If you're more interested in, in learning about um, 
Vinepair Insights, you can email prime at vinepair.com or podcast at vinepair.com. Uh, and we can, you know, we're more than happy to tell you more about it. But basically, the way the product works is it pulls in 225,000 data points a day, uh, in addition to 800 million data points from Google every year. So it's, it's you know, well over a billion data points that we're looking at every year to basically predict trends in the uh, alcohol beverage market, right? So looking at, uh, you know, 65 different categories of wine, beer, and spirits, uh, and and looking to see like where demand will be. Um, basically, you know, we we knew that we had this this large readership. So we thought, you know, how could we use that to sort of understand what's happening in the industry? Because right now, all the industry really has is sales data, and we don't really have a lot of demand data, right? So um, as we've discussed pr uh, previously, right, if you know, if there's a demand for a product, but a product isn't in the market, you would never see that reflected in Nielsen data, right? Because if the product wasn't there for people to buy, then, uh, you know, people would never, you would never know that it's something that people want, right? Whereas, you know, this, this data sort of shows you what people want, um, which is cool. So basically, uh, there's a lot of things that we've been noticing since COVID. And I thought it'd be fun to like take this time for you and I sort of talk about some of the biggest trends we're seeing and try to understand why those trends are right. You know, and obviously then it's going to yeah. be you and I pontificating, right? So it's, it's, that, that's not going to have a lot of research. <clears throat> you know, it's just back to the, really back to the old days when, when we used to just, uh, you know, before Erica came in with all her, you know, facts and sourced data, and we just got to talk about whatever we wanted to, this is just us shooting the shit. I like it. Exactly. So I figured it would be, uh, it would be interesting though, to sort of, to go through some of the things that we're seeing and, and try to, you know, talk about what, the, where the opportunities are based on those things and also sort of, uh, what, what we think the causes are and if we think they'll turn around. So, I mean, obviously the biggest thing, which I think is really interesting is, um, basically the margarita has become the cocktail of the year. I mean, it's always been, you know, one of those popular cocktails in America, a lot of times number one, but this time far and away. And what's really interesting is tequila just as a spirit has become far and away the, you know, the number one spirit in America in terms of demand. We've seen double digit growth since April. Um, and it's continuing, right? It doesn't show any signs of slowing down. This will be a time of the year when I think you'd start to sort of slowly see a shift into, you know, maybe the brown spirits or, you know, at least in the next month. We don't predict that's going to happen based on looking at the data. And I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I, I've always known that tequila is something that's very popular in America, but it's crazy to see that it's it's taken this much of a boost from the fact that, you know, COVID has existed. And so I'm curious, like, do you, like, what do you think is the reason for that? Well, you know, so I, I think back to a, an episode of this podcast we did a few, oh gosh, probably almost a month, maybe two months ago at this point, yeah. I'll have to go back and look, talking about sort of what we expected to see in the summer. And I think all of us were were very much on board with the idea that some combination of fruit, blended drinks, and and to me, especially along with that were spirits, tequila, and I, I mean, maybe I would have sort of thought rum, especially lighter uh, rums would have also been in this category in particular things that people associate with with summer but also with escapism right and i mean yep. so much of i think what we're seeing in not just in alcohol but everything is people we are most of us housebound or nearly housebound if we're traveling we're traveling locally we're not getting on a plane and going to you know the caribbean we're not getting on a plane and going to the you know to the to the Pacific you know into the Pacific Islands or whatever like we're not we're not going to Hawaii so all these things that people in our in our minds we associate with with the sort of tropical summery just you know uh, exoticism are it makes total sense to me that those things are are booming and the other part of this is and I think this is maybe something we'll see kind of continued through all these trends in some sense is 
the margarita is at its core a pretty easy drink to make. It's pretty hard to fuck up too badly. Like even if you don't get your ratios exactly right, it's a pretty forgiving cocktail. And that's a huge deal when you've got people who are suddenly facing, you know, their 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 cocktail consumption being entirely or largely at home. And so, yeah, it doesn't I can't say it surprises me and like when I think back on it, but I don't know that I would have expected tequila and the margarita to be like the clear the clear winner in this in this category. Yeah, I think for me, what's been interesting is like, actually, so another another point from the data is that we didn't actually see rum continue start to grow until June. So mm-hmm. in, in those early months when tequila was still exploding, so April and May especially, rum was actually down year over year. Um, and oh, then demand for rum started to grow in June, and now we're, now we're seeing it up 15% year over year, and it continues to expand. So I think that that growth will continue as well, predictively. But it is interesting that tequila you know, came earlier and has sustained that growth longer and continues to see growth trends. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think a lot of it has to do with this idea of escapism. But for me, it's, it's, it's also, it, it can't be just about the beach, because I, like you, and I think a lot of consumers do think about rum cocktails when it comes to the beach. But I think that that may also be reinforced of what we also thought about when we discussed frozen cocktails a few months ago, which is that they are difficult to make. They are intimidating to a lot of people. Um, I mean, I've tried to make frozen cocktails a few times this summer, and I feel like every time I haven't nailed it, and I'm just like, I just want to be back at a bar where they have an actual slushy machine and they can make it with the proper consistency so that it's still delicious, right? Where sometimes my ice is too chunky, sometimes it's too watery, like all of those different things. Whereas as you said, the margarita is, is a fairly simple cocktail to make, and there's a lot of variations, and I think that that's what's very interesting to people about the margarita. It can be spicy. It can be, uh, you know, heavy you're on the triple sec or the Cointreau, or, you know, you can go super high and you use Grand Marnier. Uh, you can add different fruits to it. You know, you have a mar- watermelon margarita, a peach margarita, a blueberry margarita, a blackberry margarita, a blueberry, blackberry, and peach margarita. Like, there's, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so much to it that I think that's what's allowed it to, uh, you know, explode in the way that it has. And then I think also, I mean, and this is, please, you know, don't kill me people for saying this. I think there are certain recipes of the margarita where the tequila is extremely important, right? So I think a Tommy's margarita is one of those. That's, I think, why I've been drawn to it so much over the the last uh, few months, because like, it really is just, it's about, you know, there's a little bit of agave, but it's really about the quality of the tequila and lime juice. That's it. It's it's much more in its pure form in the same way you can tell if it's a good rum or a bad rum in a, in a perfect daiquiri. But a lot of these margaritas we're talking about, these like super spicy margaritas, you know, where basically like you're, you're, you're taking like a three jalapenos to the face or yeah. like, you know, some of these crazy blueberry, margarita, watermelon, whatever, like the tequila doesn't matter as much. And so I think people also... there's less intimidation of like, am I buying the right brand? Am I buying the right style? It's like, okay, I've got tequila on hand. I found this recipe done. Um, And I think that's also what makes it so appealing to so many different people. I think, you know, the last part of this I'll say is I think there's also this other factor that's going on, right? Like if you are, whether you're at like the grocery store or, or a specific liquor store or, you know, whatever, or you're shopping online, I think there's this thing that happens with people where they see, they go, oh, you know, we need to get some some liquor, right? Okay, well, you know, maybe we know we like vodka or we know we like gin. Maybe we have our brand of, of whiskey or, you know, specific kind or whatever. But tequila is that thing where you see it and you go, oh, should we get a bottle of tequila? And then someone inevitably goes, well, I like margaritas. And and the reason that, that, that I think tequila has had that and rum hasn't is it doesn't quite have that cocktail that to the average drinker immediately jumps out. If you, I mean, 
I love a daiquiri. I think in some ways I prefer a daiquiri to a margarita, but I'm definitely not the average drinker. And so I think, you know, for me, I can think of a lot of applications for a bottle of rum, but unless you're, you know, what is it, a rum and Coke? Well, you know, that may not be what everyone wants to drink. And, and I think as we've heard from from lots of the people we've had come on the podcast and talk about rum, that's that's really not the optimal way to enjoy it. So so the the question for people is just, it's harder to kind of make that transition. But maybe what we're seeing now is people have sort of gotten a little more comfortable or at least a little more interested in trying new things. And so rum is the next logical stepping stone. And that's why it took till June and July for sales to pick up. Whereas for tequila, where again, the margaritas, you know, if you ask people to name cocktails, it's going to be one of the first ones that almost everyone names. Uh, you know, that makes sense to me that, that that's been where the where the average person has been comfortable, you know, maybe branching out or at least, you know, continuing to buy. Yeah. So I think, you know, another point of data that's been really interesting to watch is obviously what's happened to champagne. So, I mean, this is not just reflected in in demand data, but it's also being reflected in sales data. Although I think our demand data is showing that this isn't going to let up any, anytime soon. Uh, And that is that champagne continues to plummet. So there's very little demand whatsoever out there for champagne. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's depressing for a lot of people, right? Especially people who work, who work in that side of the business. Uh, it's definitely been hard on some companies that rely on champagne for for a good portion of their revenue. Um, and it's sad that it doesn't really seem to be turning around anytime soon and, and may not until the holidays and may not turn around in the, at the holidays either, right? It just depends on where we are as a, as a country when it comes to, you know, COVID um, and whether we feel like celebrating at all this year or not. <laughs> I was gonna say the holidays and also maybe November third for some of us. Oh right, exactly, exactly. Um, although I'm not gonna make that mistake again uh, this year because uh, my wife still s- s- blames me. Uh, uh, she says I jinxed the election because uh, yeah, that makes sense. I, that's definitely within your power. Yeah, no, but I mean, I did, I did get bottles of champagne and I yeah. had them ready to go, and I was so excited and like that we were gonna elect her and. It didn't happen. She's like, we never should have had the champagne. We got ahead of ourselves. God, is, is Naomi a sports fan? Because man, she she sounds she sounds too much like me as a sports fan. I was like, yeah, mate. You know, she's like, we shouldn't have done it. I knew we shouldn't have done it. We were so excited, and I was like, we looked at the polling data. But anyways, so um, who knows if it'll turn around? But but I think it's interesting. And like, I mean, we've 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 used a few theories before on the podcast. Right, we talked about you know, the lack of celebration, but do you, I mean, do you think that's really why it's not turning around still? It's just that people still don't want to celebrate because at the end of the day, like there are some decently affordable champagnes, especially given at a price point that people are paying for other things that we still see them being willing to pay for. So like, why is champagne not rebounding at all? Well, you know, I, I think there's a couple of reasons here. And, and the first one I'm going to throw out is is just, I mean, this is really just uh, making shit up. So I apologize if I'm <laughs> totally, if I'm totally wrong here. It's just, it's just a hunch. But I think, you know, the one part of the, of the challenge for champagne is that people are scared to open bottles of champagne, like, like the actual sparkling wine bottles. And maybe it's, maybe it's, this isn't backed up because maybe they're still going through the same amount of Prosecco and, and, Cremant and Cava and all that. But I think there's something that's a little bit intimidating about opening a sparkling wine bottle at home if you're not used to doing it um, in that it's just, it feels explosive, literally. And and that may be something that makes people uncomfortable in some, in a small enough way that when they're at the store and they're deciding what they want to buy or, you know, they're about to check out online or whatever, they may go, well, you know, maybe I don't want that bottle of sparkling wine. I'll buy a bottle of, you know, Cabernet instead or a bottle of Rosé or two bottles of Rosé instead or whatever. 
I think the other part to this is it, it, it comes back to the celebratory aspect, yeah. but I think it also just comes back to the, like the other part of this, which is, you know, when, I mean, this may not be again, an issue for you or I, but the other part is like you open a bottle of champagne. And again, this is true for all sparkling wine. So maybe the, if the other parts of the category are doing fine, this maybe is again, evidence that I'm full of shit, but we're about to um, go through that evidence in a second. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it's also, unless you have a sparkling wine stopper, it's a little harder to, you can't recork a bottle of, of champagne with the champagne cork. You have to put something, either have another cork in it, or, or like I said, a, you know, preferably an actual stopper that's designed for sparkling wine to keep it around if you're not going to drink it all. And while you and I can probably, or with our, with our families, go through a bottle of wine, no problem, in a given evening. For a lot of people, that's not, a, that's not what they're doing, especially on a weekday uh, basis. And so... Uh, again, a sparkling wine bottle, and especially an expensive sparkling wine bottle like champagne, just feels like, well, am I really going to drink that? You know, it's a wine that I maybe want to share with eight other people, not a bu- wine I want to have by myself or with my significant other. So, I mean, I think, you know, it, I, I do actually think, the, you know, as I've looked at this data and tried to really understand it, that it still, it really is all tied to the amazing branding and marketing champagne has done over the last, you know, multi-decades century that has connected it to being this premium brand that is for good times and celebrations. And because, you know, so to refute some of this, Prosecco is growing. Um, You know, we still are seeing a demand for Prosecco. And I actually think this is an opportunity for Prosecco um, to get, you know, to, to get in front of people even more aggressively than it has before. Um, and because Prosecco is, you know, is a, is a product that can be consumed on its own, but it's also a product that works really great. in a lot of these refreshing summer cocktails we've talked about that make you feel like you're escaping. And I do think that a lot of people don't really associate champagne with escape as much as some sort of monumental occurrence in their lives. Right. So like, I don't, I don't have memories. I had memories of drinking a, a spritz in Italy, right? I have memories of having a glass of Prosecco sitting outside somewhere. I don't really with champagne. With champagne, it's always been because it's been an anniversary or because someone someone graduated some you know uh, for, from some doctoral program or master's program or whatever or or you're you're stuck going out with a bunch of sommeliers. Well, I don't do that. Often, so <laughs> that doesn't really happen. Um, but you know what I mean. Like it's and also because like champagne is expensive. I mean, it, yeah. in, in a way. But it, what's funny is that, you know the reason I brought that up was because there are a lot of other sections of the wine business and this and the alcohol business in general that even during COVID are, are, are growing and doing fine, right? So you look at, um, you know, the, the two sectors of, of wine that are, that are still, you know, continuing to expand on the off-premise and it's, you know, wines that are 20 to $25 and then wines that are 25 plus. And that's not, that should say that like, okay, maybe some people are willing to trade, would be willing to trade up once in a while for champagne. But I think it really does boil down to the fact that like, you only trade up for that when it's like, it feels like, the good times are rolling and right now the good times really aren't rolling. So what would be the reason to open that wine besides yes, you being out with sommeliers who are saying it's the greatest wine ever to exist in the world and we should drink lots of it. (laughs) But you know, besides that you really, you're really not seeing it, which I'm sure that means that there's a lot of people that are getting great deals on champagne right now, or there's probably allocations that used to exist that probably don't right now. Um, because there's just so much of it not being consumed. But I do think it's very interesting that, you know, it's one of these products that's done such an amazing job of positioning itself 
in a way that should always be a strength. But this is one of those times when like, you know, we never, we've never seen a global pandemic before. (laughs) So you just couldn't plan for it. It's like, no, there's like literally no one that thinks that there's good times happening. Maybe a few people, but like not a lot. You know, so definitely not here in the U.S. I mean, maybe maybe champagne sales in in Europe are doing okay at this point, but right, definitely right, not here. exactly. Um, so another thing I think is that's been interesting to, to look at when we look at data is the continued growth, which you know what I'm going to say, of hard seltzer, yep. which just isn't stopping. Um, and I also find that's really interesting, and I have a few theories on that as well that I think are you know reinforced by things we've already seen but like it's basically propping up the entire beer category at this point like it's really you know it's it's hard seltzer's growth that's continuing to allow for a lot of these breweries to to be okay uh in a covid world which is really crazy and something that i think you know no one really thought was going to be possible you know a year ago but also even in the fall people were saying like this can't last i mean our data obviously showed that it was going to last but you know you had a lot of people writing pieces in other publications that are not ours saying oh it's got to die it's got to be a phase it's going to go quiet in the winter and it never did um and so and i think that now there's like there's certain things happening in our world that are kind of reinforcing why people are are choosing seltzer instead of other things but i'm curious cuz like have have you drunk any seltzer in quarantine or have, are you are you a seltzer person at all at this point <laughs> uh not not the uh not the hard seltzer person I <laughs> funny, I just just finished a can of uh lacroix as we were recording here as i as i muted my mic um i i think that you know my my sense of it is that you know uh one thing that we've seen and, and i'm sure this is borne out in the vinepair data is that for a lot of people there's just a lot of emphasis on comfort and on ease uh, when it comes to alcohol in this in this time that and that again you know one of hard seltzer's absolute greatest strengths is that literally all you have to do is open the can and drink it it's you know something you can drink at you know uh you know at two o'clock on a saturday afternoon you can drink it at nine o'clock on a wednesday night you can probably surreptitiously drink it during your zoom call if you pour it into a glass it looks just like you're having oh totally regular seltzer and I think that, you know, that just, it's sort of, you know, ubiquity. It's like the anti-champagne, right? Like it doesn't have any one uh, specific use case. So it's like, well, I can drink it anytime. And that for people right now when they're shopping is really, uh, I think, important. You know, I, I did an interview with um, Jake Kirsch, who's the guy who is the VP of innovation at Anheuser-Busch. Yeah, that was a good uh, interview. Ran, thank you. It ran last week and, and we were talking about the, a lot of things that his job involves. But one of the things he was talking about is, you know, even more than before, they're seeing a ton of demand for variety packs when it comes to hard seltzer. Yeah, and again, you know, it's no no surprise. It's the same thing with with non alcoholic seltzer. I think people want to be able to kind of have things on hand that are really easy. They just have to put them in the fridge and pull it out a couple hours later. That gives them you know a few options, but again, are super simple and super predictable and super safe. And it just you know, and you think the last piece of this is. All of us are still enjoying, you know, for most of us, this is the time of year when if we're going to do drinking outdoors, whether it would have been normally at a restaurant or, or bar or patio or, um, or in the outdoors more generally. And again, that's, that's, you know, Seltzer's sweet spot, even if it does well year round, is always going to be in those sort of outdoor settings. And so people are still hiking, you know, around here, at least, you know, yeah. they're out on lakes. And again, this is, this is the absolute prime, you know, use case for this, for this drink. And, and that, you know, the people are definitely 
you know, still trying to do those things as much as they can where they're permitted and where it's possible. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised, but I don't know. Do you, do, is there anything in the data that you find that's, that's interesting or that's uh, surprising? Well, so not surprising, but I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that Seltzer is surging, but I think there's other reasons besides all the ones you, you mentioned, which are good. Uh, and I think very valid. I think what's also interesting that you mentioned that's worth noting is actually the variety pack of Seltzer is the number one skew for almost every Seltzer producer which I think yeah. most people wouldn't realize. Like, It's really interesting that most consumers aren't going out and just saying, oh, I love black cherry and I want a full black cherry pack. It's like most people really wanting that variety, which is interesting. I actually think a lot of it has to do with calories. I really think that if you, the people that I've talked to who have become really avid seltzer drinkers, I'll ask why, and almost always it comes down to calories. And yeah. I think especially in COVID where a lot of us are less active than we used to be, you know, for me, I'm not, my, my daily commute was walking, you know, a little over a half mile to a subway to get on, then walking a little over a half mile from that subway stop to my office. It was a mile walk in the morning, a mile walk home. I usually ran errands. I was probably walking two and a half or three miles every day, just, just getting to work and doing stuff. I was carrying bags. I was, you know, whatever. Other people were running more. I think you, you also have a lot of people in certain places of the country, especially where, you know, mask wearing is mandatory as it should be, you know, who aren't running as much because they don't want to wear a mask when they run and it's uncomfortable. But then you do have people who are, you know, signing, you're watching these, these massive increases for apps like Peloton and people bringing that into their home and thinking about trying to exercise in whatever way they can. And I think people are saying, well, look, like I also, they're drinking more regularly, right? So they're drinking not just two or three nights a week or four nights a week, they're drinking seven nights a week. <laughs> and so citing some of the nights they're drinking, they're saying, okay, well, I want to kind of watch the calories I'm taking into my body. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have hard seltzer instead. Um, yeah. I do think that's playing a huge part in a lot of people's decision to look at that. And I think it's, you know, again, just one of these benefits that seltzer always knew that that was going to be one of its sort of key selling factors when it, when it came on the market was this calorie count, but that again, a benefit that they are now seeing that's why they are selling more than a lot of other products, because it's very clear that it is this low calorie product that gets you just buzzed enough to take the edge off, but not too buzzed. And that doesn't make you feel as guilty as if you like pounded a double IPA, right. Or, <laughs> or finished, yeah. or finished a bottle of wine. Right. That's, yeah. it doesn't make you feel that way for, for, in a lot of ways. And so, and I think people are really paying attention to it, which is, which is, you know, interesting, but I think you're going to see more watch. You're going to see a lot more calorie conscious drinks products coming out in, in the next year or so, because I think it's just, it's just, this is proving a huge point that a lot of this country cares about that. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, again, as you pointed out for, you know, that was the case even pre COVID, but now for so many of us with our routines exactly. you know, around, around fitness, around dining and eating and just all those things being so disrupted. It's definitely the case that, that that's something that that's higher on everyone's mind or most everyone's mind. And it's now making me think that I might given, given where what the scale <laughs> said, well, given what the scale said this morning, I might actually need to start incorporating some heart seltzer into my life. So think about uh, it. I mean, cause yeah, think about it. Like yeah. even if you don't live in a place where you walk to work or whatever, like we do here in New York, you probably had a gym routine or something that's been, you know, completely changed because most gyms are still closed. Like, I used to spend my work nights on the floor of a restaurant walking right. around. So yeah, I, I definitely have noticed the lack of that amount of activity uh, affecting my my health in various ways. Exactly. So so I mean I, I real and I really think and and this is you know this is our last data point for for the conversation that but that's for sure why I think it, it's really exploded on top of all the other things. Right? It's 
it's tasty. It, there's a variety there. It, it speaks of summer and being outdoors. It's easy. It's, you can hide it during Zoom calls. I think all of that. But I really think this idea of the health when all of us are also making sourdough bread <laughs> you know, yeah. is, is why people are really embracing it the way that they have. For sure. Well, Zach, this has been really interesting again. I mean, I, I, I think maybe in three months we can revisit this with Erica yeah. back from vacation, look at some other data points. Um, but again, if, if this is data that's interesting to you, feel free to email us at podcast.vinepair.com or prime at vinepair.com if you're really interested in the data and, and getting more access to it. Because um, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're seeing that's really instructive in, as to what people could be doing to take advantage of you know, a market that's very, very volatile at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you next week when Erica is back. And until then, be well. Have a great weekend for those listening to this on Monday. I guess I hope you had a great weekend. Um, And we will see you again next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week. The Vinepair podcast was sponsored this week by Gosling's Rum, a secret blend of three different distillates, each aged separately in once-used charred oak bourbon barrels, Gosling's Black Seal Rum is the key ingredient in Bermuda's national drink, The Dark and Stormy. Originally offered in champagne bottles sealed with black wax from whence comes its name, this deep, dark rum still possesses the same smooth, rich, intricate flavor as the original recipe from the 1850s. It's still slowly aged in small batches, and Black Seal Rum was awarded the highest honor, the Platinum Medal, from the Beverage Tastings Institute. For a limited time, you can use code VINEPAIR at checkout on reservebar.com for $15 off your Gosling's Rum order.